Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here again. More bonus material on the Ben Jarofsky Show. We bring it to you seven days a week, folks. And this is airing on Sunday, where we tend to talk national politics. And I am going to ask my guest to introduce himself with a little mic check. You are, sir. Who are you? Mike Check. My name is Joseph Kivargis. I am the executive director of Our Revolution. Anything else you want to say before I fire away with my questions? Well, um, we're just tell you a little bit about the organization. We are. Uh, we were start. We came out of the Bernie Sanders 26 campaign. We're inspired. 2016. 2016 mm-hmm. campaign. We are uh, a inspired by his uh, politics and his vision for where our country needs to be. And our goal is to make sure that uh, the revolution continues at every level of government, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The truth is the revolution is bigger than Bernie. It takes a movement to make a revolution. And our goal is to continue that energy at the grassroots. You hear that, Bernie bros? The revolution is bigger. I know you guys love Bernie, but it's bigger than Bernie. I just had to say that, man. And I think (laughs) Bernie would say that himself, Yeah, right? We need it. It takes a movement to transform the country. Absolutely. I agree with that one. All right. Uh, So let's talk about specifically why you're in Chicago. Get that out of the way. Uh, there's some actions that'll be going on. Well, by the time folks are hearing this, the actions probably have already taken place. So talk about the actions that are to Sure. Come. So we are uh, in Chicago because uh, we are going after Democrats, mm-hmm. uh, Democrats who profess to be progressive, quote unquote, yet, uh, you know, they talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. And in particular, we're talking about Medicare for all. Um Representative Pramila Jayapal introduced uh, the Medicare for All Act of 2019 in Congress. It's up to about 114 co-sponsors right now. But uh, that's only half of the House Democrats. How many sponsors did you say? About 114. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Right. There's 200. We elected 235 Democrats in a wave election. Right. That was transformative. Um, yet we, we have a governing majority in the U.S. House, um, but, uh, you know, they have yet a majority of the House has yet to sign on. Right. Democrats are not leading. And, you know, the biggest challenge here is, uh, you know, what I would say is, uh, you know, this is an issue that's incredibly popular among the grassroots. Eighty two percent. A recent poll 82% of grassroots Democratic voters support Medicare for all, yet half, less than half, right, of the Democratic majority in the U.S. House supports the bill. So what we're doing is we're driving an ambulance and literally driving an ambulance because we have a national health care emergency. You know, Barack Obama, I started my career as a health care organizer, actually right here in Chicago, working on... Uh, you know, uh, expanding access to health care um, with actually State Senator Barack Obama. Um, you know, the ACA was, you know, good. 
Um, Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. That's right, Obamacare. It was progress, you know, but the truth is we need to move past that incrementalism um, All right, we'll get to, to something but, more transformative. So the protests yep. will take place. You'll be driving the ambulance to yep. the, the congressional uh, headquarters of uh, Dan Lipinski, who is We a, hit Dan Lipinski at a $1,000 a plate uh, fundraiser, breakfast fundraiser this morning uh, outside a steakhouse right on the Chicago River. Um, $1,000? He was at a steakhouse for breakfast? What yeah, is, I don't. I, like, uh, what, what are you gonna of, eat a yeah. steak at breakfast? Well, yeah, what, like <laughs> Danny, what, come on. What kind of eggs and bacon do you get for? <laughs> oh yeah, a thousand bucks for a thousand a pop. Better be good yeah. eggs. Hope um, they cook them. Yeah, yeah. But, so we, uh, you know, we hit Lipinski. Uh, we went to, uh, you know, and Lipinski obviously didn't engage. Um, but uh, we uh, went to also took the ambulance and our revolution activist to Mike Quigley's office, even though Mike Quigley represents a very progressive congressional district. He has yet to sign on. Now, that being said, uh, he and uh, his staff were gracious enough to come out and offer to schedule a meeting. So we're going to take him up on that. Um, he was there himself. but He was not there, uh, but his uh, policy director. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, but we've also in the last uh, week and a half since we started our national emergency ambulance tour, we've gone to uh, Steny Hoyer's district. We've gone to David Trone, who's in Maryland. We've driven all the way to Andy Kim's district on the uh, in New Jersey. Mm-hmm in uh, Tom's River. So, you know, our goal is really to let Democrats know they, you know, we're going to hold their feet to the fire around progressive issues. All right. Now, you you gave a great quote there at the start. I just didn't get the first part of it. Uh, The second part was that there's um, only 114 sponsors out of 235 Democrats. So if my math is correct, then I uh, he did graduate from Evanston High School. And that means there's 121 P- Democrats who have not signed on to this bill. How much, what was the, pers- what was the number of uh, Democrats who were in favor of a Medicare for All plan? Did you have that number as well? Well, a, a recent a poll, poll yes, was that. 82%. Okay. All right, let's just pa- pause, yeah. everybody. I do not want Joseph's remarks here to go uh, lost. 82% of Democrats support Medicare for all, and yet almost half of the congressmen and congresswomen who are Democrats in the House of Representatives are not signing on to this bill. What is wrong with these Democrats who are in Congress? Joseph, please explain that to me. 82%. You got me, brother. Um, You know, we are in... A populist, progressive movement. People don't want incrementalism. They want radical change. And yet our political leaders, right, are cautious, right? Political leaders, we need to be bold um, and progressive are, you know, being cautious and quote unquote pragmatic. Um, And they're not willing to take risks. And it's really a problem because I think if our... If the political establishment doesn't step up, I think there's going to be a class of contenders to take them out. Um, You know, people like AOC. I think there's a bench of young people. There's a bench of progressives that are 
mobilizing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know what's wrong. You know, I mean, the truth is, yeah, I do. It's they're in the pockets of big pharmaceutical companies. They're in the por- pockets of insurance companies, right? I mean, these it's it's the system is corrupt. It's rigged, um, and it is not designed to help we the people. It's right. designed to make now, the rich richer. Uh, when you say this system is rigged, yeah. I had a flashback to uh, Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the one who said that in the 2016 uh, campaign. Here's, yeah, that's right. He's a po- he ran as a populist. Without any populist positions on anything. Well, Just sort of he, empty uh, rhetoric of populism. Well, you know, and in my previous life, I was the uh, executive director of Good Jobs Nation and did a lot of work in the Midwest. You know, Donald Trump won... Right. He won the White House because he went to swing states in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Right. He went to the Ohio's. He went to the Michigan's and he told Wisconsin. Right. He told people, right, your jobs are coming back. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't sell your homes. I'm going to bring back the auto jobs, the steel jobs. And that resonated in once strong union towns, right, that had solid middle class, but have, you know, recently been bombed out. There's no better example than uh, GM Lordstown in Ohio, right? I mean, Trump went there during the election and he said what I just said, don't sell your homes, the mills are coming back. People believed it because they were so desperate and they didn't see Democrats standing up to fight for jobs. Hmm. They saw Democrats signing on to free trade deals. And Donald Trump said, no, I'm going to stand for the American worker. He actually said, uh, you know, every decision I make is going to deliver more jobs, better wages. I'm going to punish corporate offshores. And in Lordstown, uh, where the GM plant just closed, 5,000 workers out of, you know, put on the streets um, after Trump's election, that is in Trumbull County. Trumbull County voted twice for Barack Obama. It hasn't voted for a Republican since 1972, right? There are 200 of those counties, and they all have a very similar... uh, uh, demographic pattern. Mm -hmm. There's a pattern of economic devastation. This used to be the industrial heartland. These used to be good, solid union jobs. And now those jobs are gone. They're gone to China, Asia, right, other parts of the world, right, where there's lower wages. Um, And, you know, but Trump captured that in a way that anger the problem is he's not delivering, right? Yeah, he promised to keep GM open, and he didn't. Yeah. All right. Now let's go back to something you, you mentioned to me. You mentioned on when we, we were talking here while recording or before we went on the air. Uh, you worked in the Obama White House, correct? Well, no, I uh, I did not work in the Obama White House. I uh, helped advise as an outside advisor there uh, on labor policy. So you're sort of a consultant to the... Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I would say I was an advocate um, for low-wage workers. Okay. All right. So what I'm leading up to yep. is uh, I'm. you've had access to the inner workings of powerful people, powerful politicians of the Democratic persuasion that I've never had. I've never had access to powerful politicians of either the Democratic or the Republican persuasion. I've been on the, always been on the outside looking in. All right. All right. So you at least had a, a, some glimpse of what, of how 
what motivates people who have these powerful positions, what their thinking is, what their strategies are. Why did the Obama administration pull its punch on all these populist issues? I could go down the list, but the, the one at the top of the list that I talk about endlessly is uh, what you call Medicare for all, single payer, whatever you want to That's call right. it, a national health care. They came in with Obamacare, which was they kept the insurance companies in the ballgame. That's just one example. We could go on and talk about uh, the, 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 they're pulling their punch on punishing bankers who manipulated right. the system right. and made fortune right. and never got punished, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what goes on that that the, that the bends of the world don't get to see because we're not in the inner circle. You don't have to name names. If you want to name names, you can name names. But what what go, what goes on? Like, what's the thinking that happens uh, to, to Democratic strategists when they have power that keeps them from enacting programs that their constituents would want? So, you know, uh, in my previous role... Um, I was, you know, a labor organizer, union advocate, and, you know, we actually, uh, it was part of, uh, I was the deputy director of a national labor federation called Change to Win. We actually met with Senator Obama when he was running for president, and we said to him, you know, look, there's uh, two things we think are vitally important um, should you win the White House, and we want to support you and help you get there. One is, right, uh, we need to, well, we actually said the most important thing, We there's a moment of mass income inequality. We need you to lead by example, help rebuild unions, um, use executive power, use the bully pulpit. Um, he didn't, right? He did on his core on the core things that he campaigned on he didn't deliver he created a vision of hope and change um but then delivered a clinton term you know bill clinton's term third term and fourth term <laughs> right and it's really sad and what i want to get to is you know we actually said to the to the senator um you know you don't just need to rely on congress to uh, transform work and improve work and address income inequality. You can use your executive power. We actually propose creating a White House office to promote good jobs, put a, you know, we need a good job czar um, because the U.S. government's the biggest purchaser of goods and services, buys everything from apples to airplanes, but mm -hmm. the official policy of the United States government do business with companies that pay workers as little as humanly possible, mm -hmm. right? Lowest cost. That's policy. And we said, Senator, you can change that. And you can make sure that there is somebody in the White House who's making sure the Defense Department, HHS, every agency of government is participating in creating a strong middle class, good union jobs. So we said, create that office. We'll work with you to develop policies. He created the office in his first 30 days. It wasn't an office, actually. I take that back. We got a task force, the White House Task Force on Middle Class Working Families. He put Joe Biden, the vice president, in charge of it. Um, and, uh, you know, that task force, you know, I probably did meetings at the White House with the vice president's staff every week, every other week, you know, for the first two years of the Obama administration. We proposed, here are things you can do right now that you have the power. You don't need Congress. You don't need Democrats and Republicans to come together. You can say that no one who works right uh, in a taxpayer-funded job uh, 
earns the minimum wage, all right, or uh, has to earn a poverty wage. You can make sure that federal contractors, companies that receive lucrative federal contracts, don't violate labor and employment laws. You can make sure that uh, companies that receive taxpayer dollars uh, extend paid leave. Right, there was a, there's an incredible amount of power. We proposed dozens of these pro-worker uh, executive orders um, to you know Vice President Biden's office. Not a single one saw the light of day during the first term. And I think I want to just counterpose that to like Scott Walker. When Scott Walker got to the, I'm sorry, he didn't get to the White House. When he got to the governor's mansion. In Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, right? And this is what Republicans get and Democrats don't. Mm -hmm. When he got it there, he kneecapped unions, <laughs> right? Because labor unions, organized people, right? We're the counterweight, organized regular people who pool their money and fight together. We're the counterweight to the corporate class. They know that. And that's why his job when he got there was, he, you know, private sector unions in this country are already dead. And so when he got to the governor's mansion, he wanted to make his name by destroying public sector unionism in the state where it was born, yeah. Wisconsin. What Democrats like Barack Obama and Joe Biden didn't understand is that their number one job when they got elected should have been to grow unions and restore power to working people. Mm -hmm. They did not. And I would argue that that's a direct result. That as a result is why we have Donald Trump, right? They did not grow the ranks of the American labor movement. They didn't stand boldly on the side of workers. And as a result, they didn't grow the base. Well, did they ever actually tell you directly, look, Joseph, you're a nice man. I like the things you're saying, but we, these are too impractical, it won't work. Yes. They would say that to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, first term. I mean, you know, uh, for example, uh, we proposed an executive order to, you know, raise wages on federal contracts. A lot of, you know, these, there's uh, fast food workers at the Pentagon at military bases around the country are making 725 serving generals, right? There's janitors. There's a lot of low-wage workers um, who work for private companies, live in poverty. The president, with the stroke of the pen, could raise the minimum wage. The minimum wage was stalled in Congress. White House counsel. Right, the White House legal office told me it was uh, illegal to uh, raise wages using executive authority. Uh, it violated, uh, you know, it was basically social policy through procurement. Um, uh, then I, you know, then I'd go over to the White House political shop. They said, "Well, the Chamber of Commerce is going to come after us." Right? I mean, everywhere I went on any of these proposals. To stand workers, it was no safe way day. It wasn't see safe way day. It was no safe way. Let me just take a moment yeah. to pause and just consider that what you were proposing. Follow me in this, everybody. He's talking about giving a, a raise to minimum wage workers who work at franchises in the Pentagon. The Pentagon budget is so overwhelmingly fat. Nobody knows right. how much money we're spending, literally where it's going. You could just siphon off. You talk about the, we had this program in Chicago called TIF program, it's a slush program. It's a, it's one of the biggest scams going. You could, it could be like a giant TIF. Nobody would even know. And you could just make people who are feeding off the federal trough, federal, from the federal trough, pay their workers more money. You could say $20 an hour. Forget $15 right. an hour. There's so much money. Well, it's and they said money. no. 
It's That's our, right. And they said no. That's and you right. know why they said no? Because they were afraid the Chamber of Commerce would say you're a bunch of socialists. You don't understand right. what I'm saying? That's right. What do you care what the Chamber of Commerce says? They're going to say it anyway. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And there was an unwillingness. You know, and the truth is your former mayor, Rahm Emanuel, was a major roadblock. <laughs> my former. Um, I guess he was yeah. my former. Uh, um, for the record, Joseph, yeah. never voted for the guy, okay? All right, I just want that out there. Yeah. I did, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, but that was No, that's funny. right. Uh, you Wait, know, so he was what an do you impediment. And, did he, did you actually de deal with Rahm? Um, well, I dealt with people around Rahm. Um, I've talked to him on the phone. Like yes. mini Rahms? Well, yes. That's they were right. like, we work that's for right. Rom. Like, yeah. now they're like Rom. <laughs> well, you <laughs> no know, to I, you. I mean, there were people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. There's people there who said he's the problem, right? In terms of moving a progressive agenda. Um, that being said, the buck stop always stops with the president. Come on, man. He, in, yeah. Right? I mean, Harry Truman <laughs> said the buck stops here. It does stop with President Obama. But you know, Ben, what I wanted to tell you is like, so what moves these people? Right. The truth is, out of that experience, you know, uh, you're familiar with the, uh, you know, out of that experience, uh, you know, I asked the same thing. You know, I like I feel a little, you know, must be slow on the up, you know, on the uptake here. I don't understand how someone who ran as a worker champion didn't really do anything. It's about Obama now. About uh, Barack yeah. Obama. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I did a series of interviews with elites, you know, in D.C., the political establishment, you know, think tankers, members of Congress, White House staffers, all off the record. And I, I said, just to help me understand, right, the American labor movement spent boatloads, right, to elect Democrats, right? Our troops and our treasure has elected Barack Obama, yet we didn't get a single thing right we didn't get labor law reform passed the president promised to champion labor law reform vice president biden promised to champion it use his you know uh position as you know uh someone who's familiar with the legislative process um he not only that he didn't issue any of the executive orders that we proposed and i said why is that and what we got were two things. There were two things that I took away from the interview process. One is Democrats don't believe in, uh, at least the Democrats that were around the president, the Larry Summers and others of the world, don't believe that unions are part of uh, progressive social policy. They don't believe it's a central part of economic policy, right? They're like, we can send everyone to college, we can do progressive taxation, Right. We don't really need unions. There wasn't really that core belief. But the other thing that was more striking, and I think that speaks to the way these politicians really think, work and think about the world, is one woman, uh, noted, noted person, if I said her name, people would know who she was, but I can't. Um, but she got up, you know, this is in our D.C. office, she got up. When I asked her, like, so why the fuck do we get nothing out of the Obama administration? Right. We helped elect the guy mm -hmm. and labor is weaker than it has ever been. She got up. She looked out her window. This is like on the ninth floor of a D.C. office building. She's like, the streets are empty. You guys are playing an inside game. And that's true. Right. We're going in. We're dealing with them in good faith. Right. We believe that what you campaigned on is what you're going to deliver. 
but that wasn't the reality. Um, so in other words, she said that the streets are empty. She says if you really wanted to force them to make changes, you had to be out in the streets to mend. That's right. That's right. Not. And, and so you're, it's a sucker's game for unions. I'm just saying, I'm no, just trying right. to interpret. That's right. What say. It's a sucker's game to go inside because once you're inside, then they start you're forcing captured. you. You're captured, and they start forcing you to cut what you want and to. Uh, yeah, that's right. And it. if you want to keep get invited to the you know White House Christmas party, you know you can't push you know you can't push the envelope too much. That being said, you know it was unacceptable um, that we elected these Democrats. They did nothing, um, and workers we engaged with were angry, and that was really the genesis of the strike. You know, the fight for 15 strike movement in this country. Um, uh, you know, there's a set of unions that we worked with, Walmart workers, right? This is all during the second term of Ob Barack Obama because he failed to act in his first term, right? Workers had to take to the street to demand just wages, yeah. right? Walmart workers, as part of the uh, United uh, UFCW union, uh, started going on strike. McDonald's workers started going on strike. Port truck drivers, federal contract workers in Washington, D.C., mass strikes. Six months after our first strike, and I actually led the first strike outside the Obama White House, right? And this is brown and black folks, right, who voted for Barack Obama, but living in poverty, right, went on a mass strike outside the White House. Six months after that strike, what Barack Obama's legal counsel said was legally impossible, somehow became legally possible. At the 2014 State of the Union, President Obama said, I'm going to lead by example, issue an executive order to raise wages to 1010 an hour on federal contracts. Uh, and you know what I'm going to tell you? And it's a piece of advice yeah. from an old man to a young man. Never, ever, ever believe a White House lawyer or a Chicago right. city council lawyer or That's a mayoral right. lawyer, That's when right. he or she tells you that what you're asking for is illegal. Because first of all, it's probably not. And second of all, if they wanted to fight for it, if it's if it's a law, hey, guess what, dude? You can change the law. You That's what right. I'm saying? Well, it's a good point. I'm actually, uh, uh, I, I, in addition to being an organizer, I have a law degree. One of my law school professors was David Cole. That. Um, who was the national legal director for the? Who is the national legal director for the ACLU? He's a professor at Georgetown Constitutional Law. He just wrote a book, Engines of Liberty. Well, within it was fairly recently, um, but you know uh, what he says is the engines of liberty are people in the streets, right? We are the ones, right? It is the protesters that walked across the Selma Bridge. It is right. It is the activists who help change the environment that we're in that influence how the law is made and interpreted mm -hmm. right it is the people it is really we the people and i think our experience with the fight for 15 shows that it was not until right people who are sick and tired of you know living in dire poverty took to the streets to express their anger with the economic system did politicians start to lead but it took a while brother i mean that first strike outside the white house i remember taking workers uh, to different congressional offices and telling them you know we're going to do a strike outside you know to get uh, the white house to get president obama to support these workers and none of the Demo none of the established democrats 
establishment Democrats would come out. None, right? The only Democrats, and this is in 2013, there were two Democrats who came to that strike. Do you know who they are? Uh, were they Democratic congressmen or senators? Both. One was one senator and one congressman. Well, if I had to guess a senator, sure. Bernie Sanders. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And this Bernie! Is be- this is before Bernie was a rock star. Right, uh, he was always a rock star in my eyes, but uh, yeah, no, just, no, uh, I, mean, no I hear what you, I yeah. understand what you. And the congressman, oh my God! So what year is this? Twenty twelve? Yeah. Uh, dang, who is out? He's from Minnesota. Oh, uh, Ellison. Yes, Keith. Yeah. Right. So those Co- these are wait, wait. Let's just not let that moment pass, man. That was a trivia, folks out there. No phone. All right. Joseph asked me the question. No phone. Sorry, there. I'm just taking a victory lap. Go yep, ahead. That's right. Yeah. But what I, what I want to point out is, yeah. you know, it it what was unique about that uh-huh. is they were called other other folks called like, oh, that's great. You got a bunch of backbenchers, right? Other, you know, other congressional folks are like, oh, it doesn't matter. Bernie, Keith. But the truth is, it did matter. Yeah. Right. They were willing to take a risk. Right. And stand up. I mean, actually, Bernie was the one. He got 10 Senate other senators to sign on a letter to call on the president mm-hmm. to raise the minimum wage using executive authority. People don't realize that. But he was on the streets walking picket lines before he became a rock star. In fact, I believe that's what inspired him to run for president. And Keith Ellison, you know, I think he's become a popular national figure. But nobody knew who he was mm-hmm. and nobody knew who the Congressional Progressive Caucus were. But the truth is, it is mass movements of people on the streets coupled with elected officials who believe and are willing to stand is how change happens, mm-hmm. right? It's the combination of those two things, um, which is why I'm at our revolution. I personally, you know, Bernie uh, uh, introduced the 15 minimum wage bill at uh, a strike that I organized on Capitol Hill of low wage workers in 2015. Um, the establishment was, you know, while Bernie was fighting, and Keith, who was also there to introduce- Keith Ellison. Keith yeah. Ellison, sorry. While he was fighting for 15 on the side of workers, right, the establishment was fighting for 12, right? Um, And he's been there, you know, from the beginning. And that's really what our revolution is about. It's about making sure we're organizing the grassroots, but then identifying those political leaders at every level, right? I mean, we're not officially, our revolution is not officially engaged in the presidential election, although our members are volunteers and activists, but we are engaged at in governor's races, in city council races, in state legislative races, because we want to make sure that elected officials, right, are really standing with the people who, right, staying with the people, not the corporations all at right. all levels. And, uh, okay, I got my eye on the clock because you told me you wanted to get out of here at a certain time, and I think we've passed that time. So I'm going to let you go on your way. It's, uh, but before you leave, just give out a website or a, an address where folks want to get more involved. We keep talking about our revolution. Why don't you spell it out even so there's no mistakes. Uh, so folks want to... Uh, 
get more information, join up. It's too late by the time they hear this to join these uh, protests. Uh, but I'm sure there's going to be more protests. The the fight that's right. for single payer is not going to be one weekend in the city of Chicago. No, that's right. That's right. We'll be traveling uh, on our emergency ambulance tour to congressional districts around the country where members have yet to sign on. Um, uh, prom- there is a Ways and Means uh, hearing in the U.S. House next week. Um, so there's going to be you know, continued pressure on these Democrats, uh, and we're going to be organizing, mm-hmm. right, to hold their feet to the fire. Um, so that's going to be an ongoing fight, but that's not the only fight, right? We're going to be fighting for worker rights. We're going to be fighting for a Green New Deal. We're going to be fighting to make sure that we advance a progressive vision of our country, right? Something that is transformative, uh, that transforms our political economy. That's our goal. Um, and to, you know, build movements and identify rock stars, right? The future Bernies and the future Keith Allisons, right? So we build a bench. So for those of you who want to get involved in our movement, uh, you can go to Our Revolution, and Our is O-U-R, and then Revolution uh, on Facebook or OurRevolution.com is our website. And you can uh, get involved. The more people get involved, the more likely we're to win the movement. Uh, And Joseph, I have to end it with this. I've become convinced by doing this show, talking to so many people, I really do believe that the time has come in this country to have a a, a single-payer system, Medicare for whatever you want to call it. It, 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 The... I don't think as a society we can really afford to continue going down the road we're going on. It's really crippling our country in so many ways. Uh, And I feel people want this. And so for the Democrats, if if they were to, in my humble opinion, this is me talking, I'm not putting words in your mouth, Joseph. If the Democrats were to wimp out at this moment, it would really set back the cause for so many issues that the Democrats champion. So it's like, if you say, well, my issue is not health care, my issue is environment. Well, guess what, folks? If you don't win the White House because you were wimpy on the health care for all, you're not going to have an environmentalist uh, running the EPA. You're going to have uh, these. That's right. Somebody right? who's compromised. Yeah. Morally to put it mildly, you yeah, know what I mean? Right. Were, that's right. Uh, so you're kind of all in it together. You yeah, know what I'm and saying? And all of these issues are related. Right. Health outcomes are related to the environment we live in. It's related to income levels. All of these issues are holistically related. Yeah. Right. We if we want to improve health care, we should improve work. If we want to improve health care, we should change, make sure we have a livable climate. Right. Uh, if we want to improve educational outcomes, we should make sure that people have good food to eat. They're all related. Right. We need a comprehensive, progressive solution to all that ails our country. Yeah, very good. All right, Joseph Duke, thanks for coming in. Uh, we're going to make you stop in whenever you're in town because it's a lot of fun talking politics cool. with you. All right. Thanks for having me, brother. All right, very good. This is Ben Jarofsky. See you next week.